Sol, what do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. Nobody does it better. Makes me feel sad for the rest. Nobody does it half as good as you, baby. Hey everybody, it's Dave Jessica with an all-new podcast today. I don't have any funny repertoire or poetry to rhyming, whatever it is that I do. I just wasn't in the mood, didn't have time, and uh, it's really not very good. Yet it is a fun way to open the show, but uh, don't worry, we're still going to have a lot of laughs today and a good time, and it's an all-new podcast. That's the most important thing, right? All right, so David Tell's not here today, but uh, I, you know, listen, I can't peg this guy down. I can only do what he wants. I can only, you know, he's a he's a tough cookie to get aboard. You did Howard Stern this week, so it was very difficult to uh, uh, be like, uh, listen, so what are you going to do? My so you do Stern, but you won't do this? What the fuck, Dave? But uh, he'll, he'll, I think he'll be on next week. Uh, maybe. Who cares, really? I mean, I do care. I'd love to have him on every... The, 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 you know what the problem is this year? I couldn't peg him down because Hanukkah is, doesn't start until December 24th. And, you know, he knows he comes on at Hanukkah. We like the menorah together. But it doesn't start till the 24th, and then I wasn't going to do a show that week, so it's not really Hanukkah. and uh, You know, so it's all fakakta as we get into the Jewish and Catholic holidays. Where's that Christian holidays? I don't really know. I know there's Jews and non-Jews. But uh, he will come on, and it will be fun, and there'll be uh, lots of merriment to be had by all. But today is just a regular podcast, but lots to say and lots to do and a lot's uh, going on. So I think it's best if we get it started now. I don't mind telling you that I was very, very upset on Monday. Some of you may know I canceled my football show uh my last football show down at the comedy cellar maybe you saw the tweets um on tuesday uh which made me very upset the reason why the reason being i'm in a much better mood now but on uh, monday i was very devastated in the sense that uh, you know you just feel like an idiot canceling a show but here's what happened if you care um on friday i had gotten a message from the people that from Broadway Video that, you know, the kicker that run the Facebook Live program. Now, I know anybody can do Facebook Live. Anybody can. But running it with this company, they had a special camera, so we're doing live edits and everything. It makes it look a little more professional except for the sound, which next year I'll fix. And we were getting 100,000 views, you know, not just 100, 100,000. And they told me that, oh, you know, um, it looks like uh, we've given... All our camera equipment's out that week. We have a Christmas party, uh, blah, 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 all this nonsense. And then she's like, I was going to give you a shout because I said, hey, how do you feel about this person? Because I used to check with them with the guests because they always liked women. They preferred women, which I was good with, too, because, you know, if you have a football show, it's best to have, you know, a woman on it because, 
makes your base go up a little more, your demographic. So um, I would always check with them. And that's when she finally called. You know, I was like, oh, I don't know whether we're going to be able to make it. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because now I realize I rely on them. Where it started out, it was just the football show. But then I realized I kind of relied on this company and they've become my friends and I like them a lot. And for them to say that they you know, weren't going to make it was just kind of was upsetting. So then they never called. And I, I wrote back Friday and I said, you never called. And then on Sunday, I called them and I'm like, hello, what's happening? And then Monday, she finally, I, I, you know, emailed again. I'm like, what's happening? And they're like, oh, you know, I had a death in my family and, you know, we did all this and that. I'm like, you know, meanwhile, I'm like, what do I care if you have a death in my family? I know that sounds horrible, but I mean, it's, it's business, right? So, but she's my friend, this girl that works there. I call her up. She's crying at the office. I'm like kind of yelling at her. She's like crying. And I'm like, are you crying? She's like, I, I don't know. I, some cousin OD'd on heroin or something. Uh, I said, oh, these things happen, you know, because I <laughs> definitely had some friends that have done that too. Um, but I guess it must have been, I, you know, see, I can't understand a cousin that I'd be that upset about, uh, you know, unless it was the owner of the devils. Because uh, then, you know, I don't get the perks. But so I guess I was being a little rude. But then, you know, I like her a lot, but I feel bad. But I mean, again, you know, how is that? My, how's my problem? You know, how, what are you going to do? But they're not making any money off my things. So I guess that's the thing. Because if they were, then it would be like completely unacceptable. I just don't understand people that can't, you know, delegate. Uh, well, I can't make it, but somebody else will come. Anyway, nobody was coming. And so it makes me feel bad on so many different levels that, you know, clearly I suck and I guess uh, they don't care. It just bummed me out. Um, and then I just, so I called up the comedy seller and I'm like, how many reservations do I have? And they said 12. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to make Artie Lang come down to the comedy seller for 12 people. When we're not broadcasting to Facebook, lots of people had questions, you know, because how it, it would have sucked because didn't you want to know where he was? Wasn't that the thing? That's what everybody was going to be asking. We could have talked about it. We could have done all that. But I wanted it to be on Facebook so everybody could see it. Um, so I just canceled it because it just wasn't I, I felt like it almost wasn't fair. You know, the live audience would have been I think they would have been excited, but it's it's not fair we needed to especially this one after already didn't show last time you want to see you know what happened what he has to say i felt like i was depriving everybody of it. i don't know i was just really upset so i canceled it i called lenny and he goes what i just promoted it i'm serious i thought they'd be happy that they didn't have to waste their time but i can't figure that lenny is cool but i i can't figure already out he's like why'd you cancel it He's like, I don't mind. I love performing for small crowds. I, I thought for sure he didn't even care to do it anymore. I can't figure him out. He always makes fun of it all the time. But I guess that's the thing. I guess he does enjoy doing it. I, I guess. I didn't want to bother him. He comes all the way from Hoboken. So I thought I was doing the right thing. But you're always doing the wrong thing if you quit. You know? And that's what it was. I kind of quit. Um, but... I wasn't that sad about it because then I was able to just concentrate on the Christmas Carol, which is next Tuesday. And I got to say, with that out of my head, I got a lot of work done on Tuesday. It was very productive. I got all the scripts ready. I sent them out to everybody. I got the timing down. I got, you know, I did all this 
really great stuff that made me feel better in my head. And I'm very excited about A Christmas Carol. We already have 52 reservations. Place holds 200. That's better than the 12. And I do think it will sell out. So uh, I was reading some of the fun parts to my friend Lee today. And he was laughing and made me feel good. I, I think it'll be good. The only thing I'm worried about, there's two things I'm worried about. Uh, you know, I told you I think I'm playing, when Jacob Marley comes, I'm playing him as actor John Marley, who was Waltz in The Godfather. Uh, you know, a man of my position can't be made to look ridiculous. Now you all got out of here. I thought that would be funny as the ghost, but it's not that funny. Uh, so I, I don't know. That's what I'm going to do. So that's bothering me a little, but also the other thing is the length. It's a little long. It was hard to cut because you got to get to the scenes that people know and you got to do it all once, which is why I do The Godfather in five parts. Um, you don't want to miss a, a line of dialogue that somebody is looking forward to in a thing like The Christmas Card because that's the way I am. I'm like, you better put in uh, and be all and be at work all the more earlier the next morning. You know, the lines that I particularly love A Christmas Carol, um, you know, the lines you like. And um, aren't there workhouses and prisons? Well, they better die and decrease the surplus population. So it's hard to cut stuff. Uh, plus, of course, you know, the comedy gold that I am writing. <laughs> How you doing? But, yeah, you know, hopefully it'll be okay. Got a lot of nice people in it. I was just talking to Marina today. She um, was talking about a live this one, you know, and then we're having a, a little birthday party for her after with a little dance party action. And, you know, we're singing the songs. I, I just can't imagine it wouldn't be a good time. And But I'll tell you a good way to make it not a good time, having it go too long. But, you know, if people are saying it's going too long, it would only be once the ghost of Christmas future is there, and then they know it's almost over, so... I think we can handle it. I just have to hope for the best. and But everybody's excited about it, I think. It's a it's a fun idea. It's interesting. And like I said, I just do the best I can. What are you going to do? I was trying to practice the songs again with Gnome this weekend, but he went to Russia. <laughs> I can't blame him for that. Um, so we still haven't gotten to practice songs. I think we're just going to do everything the day of. Well, that's the fun too, I guess. Not for me, but... I prefer to pr practice and practice, but uh, when everybody's working for free or for $20, then that's the way it is. So we get to run through it once, and then we perform it. But that, again, is the gag. That is the, the, the git, as you might say, uh, as my friend Gunner on Twitter was saying, uh, you know, without the, the new podcast, he was watching Notting Hill. It's exactly the right thing to do. It's exactly the right thing to do. I didn't even realize I just did a line. And that, that is the, uh, a picture, if you will, the stupidest person that you can imagine. I'm picturing in my head right now, sir. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm drinking, um, today I'm drinking that Starbucks vanilla stuff uh, that they sell in the supermarket instead of the Cafe Culotta. I, you know, I needed something sweet because today at the office, this guy who has that restaurant in Staten Island that I always go to all the time, he cooked for everybody today. Oh, my God. It was amazing. I ate baked ziti, uh, some pork chops. Don't tell my mother. Some filet mignon, uh, ribs, uh, what, oh, oh, baked clams. Oh, my God. That was so good. And uh, more pasta. And, oh, uh, ahi tuna. 
Oh my god, it was fantastic. And you know, I don't ever eat the desserts, so I usually need something sweet by the time I get home. Which is today this uh store-bought Starbucks stuff because I don't really care for a Starbucks coffee, but I will get their lattes, but I'll get coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. Does that make sense to anybody? I don't like Starbucks coffee. It's too yucky. Although I haven't tried their blonde coffee. Maybe that's better. Um, before we get into I I really, uh, just a, uh, on a note, uh, I did Esther Koo's podcast uh, last week, and we had a very good time. Uh, but, you know, she gets high before her podcast and then falls asleep. You know, she did it on my show, too. And then she just falls asleep. Uh, <laughs> during the podcast, so you feel like an idiot. You know, I'm like, oh, am I boring you? Um, it, it's kind of weird. Uh, that's just, just, I can understand if she gets high as a guest on my podcast, uh, which she fell asleep on as well. But on her own, that's a strange thing to do. It does make your guests, I think, feel awkward. But again, it's her podcast. She can do whatever she wants. And then we went out for a drink. And, you know, it's so funny. I mean, she's she's nice enough. I mean, she's nice. And we get along now. Um, and we had a pretty good talk. But that laugh that she has, as, you know, we know, or if you listen to her podcast, at the bar, oh, my God, it's so loud. Everybody's looking. At, like, it's it makes you feel great that she's laughing that hard at anything you say. But everybody's looking around, you know. And it's just, it's so loud. It's a little distracting. You almost just kind of want to be serious with her because you don't want her to laugh. It's it's embarrassing. You know, everybody at the bar is looking at you. I don't, I don't, I don't like that. As much as many people think I probably would like that, I do not like that. I uh, like to remain anonymous. Today, I would like to talk about Hairspray Live. And the reason I want to talk about it is because it it was great. Remember, we talked about Grease Live last time it was on. And I wasn't going to talk about Hairspray Live. I I just, I don't care for Hairspray. I don't, I didn't like the original movie. And I guess I never saw the musical, the musical movie or the Broadway sh- No, so it was the movie first, which I saw in 1988. Because I was a big John Waters fan. And I remember thinking, I'm like, this is weird because it's almost like a mainstream movie, of course. But then he's got the shock value with the, the black and the white people really going at it, making out, which, you know, as you know, is very shocking for me still in this day. But I'm getting used to it. But back in 1988, it was very shocking. And that's what John Waters does. And that's the fun. But he, And so I, it's just funny that this guy, John Waters, I mean, who's a, a legend, and you know, an, an early shock movie making. Uh, made this this mainstream. I mean, it really. It, he just did the perfect mainstream and his movie, which was Hairspray. Um, you know, the perfect balance. And then they made it a musical, which I never saw. And then they made a movie of the musical. And then they just made the musical TV version of the musical, whatever. Anyway, so remember how gung ho I was about Grease Live because, you know, forget the. The fact that I like musicals or whatever, and I like Grease, and obviously I was definitely going to watch Grease because everybody knows Grease and everybody loves Grease, and it's you know I talk about Grease all the time, you know when I play that clip from John Travolta and everything because uh, 
I think, you know what? Uh, because we're talking about it, I, I really think we should play it. Don't you? Uh, let's see if I have it. I usually like to get right to it. Do I have it under John Travolta or just... Uh, oh, no, that's his Welcome Back Cutter screen test. That is hilarious. All right. Um, here it is, our favorite scene. Sandy! Teddy? What are you, what are you doing here? I, I, I thought you were going back to Australia. We had a change of plan. Okay. Well, that's cool, baby. I mean, you know how it is, rocking and rolling and whatnot. I can't get enough of it. You know, I mean, once we're going to mention it, I was like, I, uh, you know what? I, I have to hear it. The people want it. Um, so anyway, when they did Grease Live, I was like, this is unbelievable. This is the best live musical they've ever done. Because watching a musical on TV or the movies kind of sucks. There aren't a lot of good examples of good ones. And Grease Live, you know, out of the new genre of live musicals they're doing on TV again, Grease Live was the best I've ever seen because they Fox really did a number where they really made it special and different than anything you've seen before. Peter Pan was a bag of crap. Santa Music was okay. I enjoyed it, but uh, whatever. And, you know, I, I still can't watch the Rocky Horror. It just doesn't work. Well, I don't think that was live. So anyway, the way they did Grease was amazing. So NBC clearly just, they just ripped off what Fox did. They just ripped it off. In fact, if I was Fox, I would sue them. They completely ripped off Fox's idea for doing a live musical. They did it on the back lot in, in California and just the way where you saw a lot of the behind the scenes and a lot of... So, so here's what they did, and, and it was really terrific. Uh, I didn't think I was going to like it. I'm like, ah, let me see what this is all about. I ended up watching the whole thing. I was, I was blown away. I got to say, it was very entertaining I don't know why I enjoy it so much. The music was good enough, you know? Like, I don't really know that musical, but, you know, it's just um, they bring in this new girl that nobody knows before, and they have some really good performances in it, too. But they have, like, when she starts out, which is this one, I guess. It's like, um, you know, who cares? I mean, the songs are, you know, it's, if, if you don't like musicals, you're like, oh, my God, this is horrible. But uh, if you see it, it's like has her in bed. And then, you know, the direction was outstanding. And it pulls back. And then she turns out she's standing. She's not in bed. You know, it's a set. And then she goes back and goes out into the street of, you know, 60s Baltimore. But it's, you know, it's very, you see, it's on a back lot. Uh, because you see the mountains of California, of Los Angeles in the background. And that's what made it kind of great. And it was also, remember, it's 5 o'clock over there. So it was just getting to sunset. So it was beautiful. 
and then that's how you know it's like wow this is live this is great um and it was you know it was just uh, it's great and they they show the audience in the back kind of looking around like looking at stuff and it's just uh it's very exciting and and then during the commercial breaks they showed for the first two sets of commercial breaks in a small box on the right hand side they showed everybody like kind of uh you know prepping for the next number or whatever or just standing around talking and i i found it completely fascinating especially ariana grande was in it and she's ridiculously hot i mean she just is right i mean i've liked her since she was cat on uh victorious but her and martin short were clearly like getting along really well all, all for like twice during two different commercial breaks they were always hugging all the time and i was like that's exactly what i would be doing if i was uh you know whatever i'd be like oh ariana <laughs> like, I mean, they really love each other i mean who doesn't like martin short though so that's the thing so yeah it's martin short it's uh ariana grande Kristen chenoweth who's a living legend um harvey firestein which i could always do without uh this uh, jennifer hudson martin short uh andrea martin i mean come on she's she's great and she was just underused in this but this Derek huff now this this is the gayest thing i'm i'm gonna tell you i mean this is just just deal with it all right just deal with it we're talking about hairspray live right now i'm just going for it all right i mean i'll probably title the thing hairspray live just deal with it Remember, I still do Godfather shows <laughs> when I tell you this. <laughs> my, my sister and I, all we ever talk about is these is the Huff family. Julian Huff is one of the hottest girls I've ever seen. And she was so good in Grease Live. She's, she blows everyone else away because it's very clear that she sings and dances better than anybody. And we know she's a big dancer. She's dancing with the stars. So they gave her, gave her extra dancing thing to do. Very smart. And she's just gorgeous. And these kids have been dancing. Remember, her her and her brother, Derek, who's you know ridiculously handsome, both studied in London dance. I mean, they're serious. And remember, they were in Harry Potter when they were kids because they were, you know, around in London and they needed extras. And they're so they're in the original Harry Potter when they're children. These kids have been around. This guy, Derek Huff, who plays Corny Collins. I mean, he's amazing. He looks great in that suit. It's like all I could think about. I was like, I want to wear that suit in my next life. You know, a nice thin tie and just look good in like a silk suit. He looks amazing. He dances even better. I mean, the guy's the real deal. So my sister and I, we're talking about it. We're so gay when it comes to these things. And we're like, you know, that Derek Huff. She's like, oh, my God, right? Right? And we were just talking. I said, it's a shame those two were brother and sister because... They could be like, I don't know if you've ever seen Singing in the Rain, but they could be like, there's in the movie Gene Kelly and this other girl, like Lockwood and Lamont, like these stars from the 20s. They did a whole bunch of movies together. These two could do movie musicals together, and I, it, they, they would be amazing because they're both so attractive. So anyway, it turns out, my sister calls me today, she goes, all right, just uh, just relaxing. I want to tell you, because we both don't want to seem like we're like retarded, but... Uh, she goes, it turns out the Huffs tour around the country. They do like a whole dance tour or whatever. And I'm like, what? And she goes, yeah. And they're coming to uh, Radio City and the Count Basie Theater. We should get tickets immediately. I think they go on sale today. And I'm like, 
that's a brilliant idea. And she goes, yeah, but I'd really like to get the VIP tickets. I'm like, what do you get for that? He goes, you get to meet him. But it's $1,000. I'm like, all right, I'm not paying $1,000. I, I don't, first of all, I don't want to meet them because we're disgusting and they're gorgeous. That's just going to make us feel bad. Uh, let's just go see them perform. Really, you know, you know I like song and dance and I like dancing. I like good dancing. And these guys are the real thing. So I think I would enjoy that, but I'm not telling you guys when I see it because it's just too gay. <laughs> but they're so good looking. Oh, they're really talented. You know, you got to like somebody who's that talented, you know, and not that actually has worked for being that talented for a long time. You know, like I said, they were kids. They studied in London. This, you know, when you see a guy dancer, I like that because I... I guess I wish that for myself. That's why I like the I like seeing the I know this sounds gay, but I like seeing the guys the ballet because I like to you know I, was like, I can't even imagine moving like that you know, and you know I took ballet when I was younger and what are you gonna do? Uh, ugh, so where were we? Anyway, this ah, <laughs> how you doing? Uh, but I like girls, you know. I, I said Ariana Grande is hot, right? I did. Uh, and you know the thing about Ariana Grande, and this is what made Hairspray really good too. She had a very minor role, very minor role. And for a diva like that, I was I I I tend to watch her not just because she's really just stunning, and they made her they made her. To, it was the listen. It's the thing we talk about all the time. You know, she's playing this uh, nerd. She has the glasses, and the you know she's supposed to look really nerdy, and then at the end comes in looking ridiculously hot the shortest dress you've ever seen and it's a, it's really great and uh there's one scene where her mother ties her up on the bed it's like the hottest thing i've ever seen and she, but we know she's a diva i mean we know ariana grande's a diva everyone knows so for her to take a back part like that uh, which doesn't really have a lot to do is kind of a great thing and when you watch her if you ever watch it and you see her just going through the motions and not being a diva and being in the moment and playing the part, a supporting part, it it kind of is like you know she's okay because that's cool. I I often watch that when somebody's a huge star and they're taking a a smaller part. I'm always fascinated to see their reactions when they're not talking. I don't know for some reason that fascinates me more because this is the way I think. But she was very good. Uh, I think she had a song. I think this is her. I don't know how you can sing and dance at the same time like that. I mean, it's like, it, it's really funny because at the, uh, you know, after what they were all like, so you, uh, so what are you going to, uh, what's happening here? But she, I mean, she's the real deal too. You know, I mean, she's an amazing singer. I mean, an amazing singer. And so, the, you know, they also have Jennifer Hudson on it. And let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you right now, very smart. Again, they did a lot of very smart things. 
I don't know if you remember this, but a, a while ago, a couple years ago, you know, I like um, Adina Menzel, right? And we, I go to the woman who sings the Frozen song, which, you know, is a show-stopping number. Let it go. Uh, so I go to see her new Broadway show because it's Adina Menzel. You know, I mean, she's great, right? And you know, if, you know, if you like Broadway, right? I mean, if, if I do it in the voice of Damone, is it that gay? I mean, come on, right? It's like it's Adina Menzel. So I go to see her show, If Then, which was a bag of crap. And uh, I think we even talked about this last week. I was like, listen, you know, I'm screaming out, sing, let it go. Sing, let it go. You know, because that would have saved the entire show. You have a crappy show. And she has this number. I was talking about it with somebody the other day. And they're like, yeah, but she had the number at the end, which was, I'm like, no, no. That number at the end, which, you know, clearly the writers are saying, well, we got to give her the big num- the big power number at the end. But that power number was so pale in comparison to this Let It Go song, which is a phenomenon, that it's like, why don't you just please everyone in the audience, you close the show, it ends, and then you come out and sing Let It Go. Everyone who leaves that theater is going to say that was totally worth $140. If you're going to see or do, let it go live. That's all you have to do to please people. Remember I've told you about the Broadway show Rocky, me and Atel went to. That was the worst show I've ever seen. But that ending, and I've talked about it a hundred times, where the stage comes out and it's a boxing arena and they have the fight at the end and you walk out of that theater and you go, that was totally worth $140, even though if I remember the show, it was a bag of crap. The worst show I've ever seen. But we know where the money went. It went to the last 20 minutes, which was phenomenal you'll never get to see it you know no high school will ever be able to do it although i beg my sister to keep to do it why why not i should just do that i should go to a junior high and well that's creepy i guess but actually you know that's not a bad idea i should do that at the village underground i should do the rocky broadway musical and then try and stage the fight at the end that would be unbelievable but anyway in even in um, the musical Bye Bye Birdie, which apparently NBC is doing next, was so horrible. I can't even believe that they will not let that go. I cannot get that show out of my life. Um, at the end in the movie, they have Anne Margaret come out. They realize they have Anne Margaret in a musical or on film. Anne Margaret might be the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. I was just watching Viva Las Vegas the other day for the first time, and she really might be the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Uh, She's stunning. So she's in Bye Bye Birdie. She's playing a 12-year-old, you know, and whatever, and she's already, you know, 25, whatever she is, or older, I think, at that point. And, of course, what do they do? They're really smart. They have her come out and sing this song, that's not even in the musical. They make a song for her to come out and sing and show her boobies around. Bye, bye, birdie. And it's like kind of a show-stopping number, even though it's the movie, because it's her just singing. And that's all you're looking for. So Hairspray Live brilliantly seemed to get it, or whoever was in charge. They realized they have Jennifer Hudson, one of 
one of the best singers of our generation, maybe at this point, or she could be, you know, when she grows old, who knows what is going to happen right now. We know she's great. We know she's great. And Ariana Grande, who is a huge superstar, I mean, a huge worldwide superstar. So they get these two icons on the same show. Give them something to sing. So they they sing together. And uh, I think it's this one. They sing it right at the end. The show ends, and they and they go like. And now, when we come back, the, our two icons are going to do a performance. smart it's like you know you got these two people together let them do something I mean, that's exactly what pe- th- that's smart thinking i don't know where that song's from maybe it's from the show i don't know they just did it while everybody was doing their bows it's brilliant that's what you want it's almost like it's like a caddyshack the story we now know chevy chase bill murray they do not get along it doesn't but what that being the case somebody says to harold ramus the the Paramount or whoever's making that movie says, um, you don't have the two biggest stars in the movie in in a scene together. They're like, we don't? They didn't even realize. And they're like, yeah, you, you, we have to have our two biggest stars in a scene together. So they made up a scene. I mean, we've heard all the backstories now. They made up a legendary scene where Bill Murray and Chevy Chase get together and do like, you know, it's a, you know what you got to do with smells is uh, you, you cut his Achilles tendon. You goes, he goes back on a swing like this. He'll never pay it off again. This is a Kentucky bluegrass. Uh, you got a pond down there? You got a, you got a pool down there? We got a pond and a, and a pool. I think, a, I think a pond would be better for you. Oh, that'd be great. I mean, these guys are just riffing, and it turned out to be an amazing scene. And when Chevy Chase tells the story of how it came to be, and he's kind of throwing – because you – I don't think he was bullshitting. I think he was a writer, and he – you know, he he definitely right, and we know Bill Murray's very good at improv, so but because that's what the public wants. So they did it. And it was just I you know, I like that. I like smart thinking when that kind of stuff happens, you know. Now here's the worst, the absolute worst thing uh that can help and help that listen to this. Oh Wilbur, I suddenly feel so old. How oh, nonsense, doll. You're as spry as a slinky. Whenever I'm near you, it's like grabbing hold of a giant joy button. 
styles keep a changing, the world's rearranging. But Edna, you're timeless to me. That's Martin Short. Now he's the best, so why don't I have any problems with it? No, but Cam lines are shorter, folks don't get it. Schmaltz with just Keep a fading, Castro's invading, but will be your timeless to me. Oh God. Hairdos are higher, mine feels like barbed wire, but you say I'm shit than me. Oh, that is like, uh, it, it just messes with your soul. It's hard. It was almost unwatchable. <laughs> like, just him. Oh, and you know what's the funny thing? This is like his fourth musical. Oh, that's. I guess people like it, not me. Um, it's disgusting, and his voice is grating on your soul. And uh, I don't even know how Martin Short was like playing to him like he was in love with him, but I guess that's the fun. And you know Harvey Firestone is probably a great guy, but that voice singing, that's just not right. And it's funny that I worry about my voice on next Tuesday because you know I have to sing, and I tend to lose my voice a lot. Uh, what the hell am I worried about? What the hell am I worried about? Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's horrible. But, uh, oh, you know who else they also had in it was uh, Ricky Lake and the girl that uh, originated the Broadway show one that uh, won the Tony. They had both of them come in um, in this song. When things get rough, a girl needs her mother. Since someone asked me oh. to get... Our television doesn't count. Oh, 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 oh. Whatever. Um, but uh, first of all, this, you know what? Um, this Dove Cameron, who, this girl was great. She played this role of Amber. She's so hot, but she was perfect. And I've seen her before on the Disney Channel. <laughs> You're welcome. She's in this show called Live and Maddie, which is, again, unwatchable, but she's so hot that I was, you know, watching it a little because it was on after Austin and Alley because I remember I like that girl. All right, so what do you want me to do? Because I know these girls are going to grow up hot. That's pretty much what it comes in. Look, I know Woody Allen was a big fan of Hannah Montana. But this, look. <laughs> this girl's, uh, she plays uh, twins in the show, you know, so she's always doing the different roles like Patty Duke. And um, she was amazing in this. I never, I didn't know her. I didn't know her name. She was really good. Kristen Chenoweth was always good. And, uh, yeah, that's all I wanted to say, really. I mean, it was just uh, great. So they also had live cut-ins from four locations. That was a bit much, but they had some viewing parties. But what they did was they had, you know, one from Baltimore, obviously, because the whole thing takes place in Baltimore. One from Philadelphia, where, like, American Bandstand, you know, those kind of shows took place because it takes place where it's, um, you know, a dance show, like in, but in Baltimore – and this girl wants to be on it, this fat girl, and they're like, you never, you can't be, you can't be on it because you're fat, and yet people will make fun of you. And then, you know, only black people are on, allowed on Negro Day, which is once a month. And she's like, every day should be Negro Day. I agree. So it's also like a race, um, you know, thing. It was, it was pretty good. Um, and then Ariana Grande kissed the black guy. I wasn't sure if they were going to go for it. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Because it's very adamant in the, in the 88 production. 
Um, and then they had one in Atlanta where the director's from. So they kept going back and forth with this guy, uh, Darren Chris, who's in Glee. He was a little annoying, but, you know, he kept running backstage and doing stuff. It, it, it was good, though. It, it really gave you that feeling that there was that you were part of it. And I guess I just think if I was a kid watching, I would be like, this, God damn, I want to be in this. I want to be involved. I want to move to California. It would totally... You know, be one of the reasons that I would get into comedy or show business or whatever, because um, I think that really would have meant a lot to me growing up. But uh, that all being said, <laughs> after I tell you how smart it was, the ratings were not good. It didn't do well. I have the ratings here. That's why he was very strange. Um Uh, the numbers for Wednesday include NBC's annual musical and low numbers pretty much every. So, uh, Hairspray on NBC got a 2.3 on that day. Now, it, it won its time slot at 8 p.m., but at 9 p.m., it lost by a couple of points to Empire on Fox. Um, but, it, you know, it was supposed to do a lot better. Uh, Hairspray Live averaged the 2.3 ratings, slightly behind the 2.4 horrible Peter Pan Live. And uh, The Wiz somehow posted a 3.4, and that was a bag of crap. And The Sound of Music scored a 4.6. So they say Hairspray seemed to poach viewers from other networks as uh, ratings for ABC, CBS, and Fox were down. It just didn't do as well as the others. For the week, it was in eighth place. But this is, you know, uh, yeah, it didn't beat the Sunday night Cowboys-Giants game. What? How did it not? What? <laughs> yeah, that that game, by the way, was off the charts. Huge. Of course, we talked about this last week. I mean, just show the Cowboys every Thursday and Sunday and you're going to make some money. Now, last Thursday night game where the Cowboys were playing, they had a 6.8, which I told you was a raise from what Thursday night football has been getting because this past Thursday night when the Raiders played the Chiefs, only had a 5.6. So when the Cowboys play, it went up at a complete point. But that was last week. This past Sunday, the Giants, an 8.7. It blew away any competition even from its own football. Blew it away. The next closest one, 8.7. The next closest non-football related, non-football related show was a 2.8. From an 8.7 to a 2.8 was This Is Us. That bag of crap that's on NBC all the time. I couldn't care less about. Then Empire. Then, remember like we talked about last week, The Damn Simpsons. I don't know where they're getting this resurgence from. And then Hairspray Live with the same uh, the same points as The Simpsons, 2.3. Then the Victoria's Secrets fashion show, <laughs> which also they said didn't do well. I don't know what they're expecting to do well. Well, I guess they want that over. Maybe they wanted a three instead of a 2.3. So, yeah, it didn't do well at all. And uh, you just don't know why. Uh, you know, here's what I was thinking, though. 
Is it possible because of the uh, black-white thing or something? Just stick with me here. The reason why I say it, the content of it being a a black-white thing and being racist, if football's falling off, if football is going, uh, the ratings are dropping, and many people are blaming it on Colin Kaepernick, they're blaming it on him not and him kneeling during the national anthem and they're blaming the drop in football ratings on that factor that's what they're saying is causing it which is crazy but if those kind of people that really care about somebody who wants to stand their ground for a cause which you know everybody's on the fence about and if that's what's causing it, then these are probably the same people that are like, well, I don't want to see blacks and whites together. Maybe they, maybe they didn't, were like, I, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see, I don't, I don't know about this. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm not going to not watch football because Colin Kaepernick is an idiot. Now, I might not watch Colin Kaepernick, but I'm going to watch other games. And it's not just San Francisco games that are falling off, you know. Colin Kaepernick's an idiot. but, But, as I've said before, many times... I don't want to stand for the national anthem because I feel, why am I forced to stand? I'm not doing it because it's a slave song. I'm just saying, you can't make me stand. Uh, I know it's a little disrespectful, but I'm just saying, you know, I don't want somebody in this, where somebody's going to tell me to get up who's behind me in the stands. I'm like, no, because then it's going to make me want to sit more. So, well, that's a whole nother story, isn't it? So hairspray live. Well, there it is. Now, hairspray live. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, I guess we got to get into uh, just for a second because I want to tell you something really funny. Oh, uh, just give me one second, please, and I will get it. Here it is. Now, you know, I'm not, I mean, we know we do a lot of tributes. I'm not doing a tribute to Alan Thick, you know, because they're like, what does this guy have nothing else to do? I know we do a lot of tributes on this show. We're not doing one to Alan Thick, but. The reason I have to bring it up, it's, uh, I mean, it is, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, he's, he just died. Um, you know, this guy, though, he, um, you know, he wrote the Different Strokes song and Facts of Life song. That's pretty cool. But he, he um, had a show, oh, this song is just way too long. Um, he, uh, I'm trying to get my thoughts together where I wanted to start. Um, you know, for recently he just, uh, he turned out to be really funny actually as he got older. I mean, you know, I don't care about growing pains, but he just worked with Smigel on the Jack and Triumph show and he was really, really funny. And he was turning out to be a really funny older guy. Um, so that was good. But he had a show back in the 80s, in 84, before growing pains called Thick of the Night. 
Now, some of you who are younger are not going to remember. Thick of the night. But I remember. It was trying to take on Johnny Carson. 83 to 84. It was a disaster. In fact, it opened with this song, which should tell you it's a disaster. What decade did you say? Oh, right. Going all the way back to 1983, here's Alan Thick and Thick of the Night. Can you imagine Johnny Carson opening with this song? This isn't just a theme. He's going to sing. Is this the Scarface theme? How did we live through this? It's a four-minute song, everybody. They released it. The theme to Thick of the Night. Here's Alan Thick with the Thick of the Night theme. Woo. Man, I remember putting this in my car, just driving. Being like, yeah, let's roll it with the Thick of the Night. With the Thick of the Night. Ooh, with the Thick of the Night. This song goes nowhere and it's four minutes long. The city lies thick of the night, thick of the night. This is just like that Staying Alive song that uh, Frank, uh, Frank Stallone wrote. But that's better. <laughs> Boy, this is really bad, right? Oh, my God. Uh, it goes on for another two minutes. You're welcome. I shut it off, even though I kind of love it. Uh, <laughs> it just sounds like that Scarface thing when he gets married to Michelle Pfeiffer and they're doing all that marriage thing. And then they go see the tiger. And it sounds like I mean, it's just so 80s. It's like a, it's like a joke. It's like... Um, and it's written by that guy, David Foster, the one who ran over Ben Vereen and wrote a bunch of stuff for Chicago in the 80s. Guy was the shit in the 80s. But, um, and Alan Thicke wrote it and sang it. So they gave him this talk show because he apparently had a very popular talk show in Canada. And they were trying to make it a little more, you know, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And his regulars were Richard Belzer, Arsenio Hall, Rick Dukeman. That guy was all over the 80s. Charles Fleischer, who I believe was Roger Rabbit. Gilbert Gottfried. And Fred Willard. Uh, And Fred Silverman was the show's producer. Fred Silverman was a legendary 80s like NBC producer. Now, the again, so here's the the story about Thick of the Night. 
As the season progressed, and with several stations having dropped the show mid-season, it was retooled to be more closely resembled to Thick's popular Canadian talk show. The original house band was replaced by a different band, the regulars were dropped, and Thick's then-wife Gloria Loring joined the cast, as did controversial Los Angeles-area talk show host Wally George. This guy was an idiot whose actual his f- daughter was Rebecca De Mornay, and he's disgusting. Rebecca DeMornay, who was the super hot one from Risky Business and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. However, none of these changes helped boost the show's ratings. At the end of the 1983-84 season, it was canceled. Thick said of the cancellation, see, he was funny. He's like, Thick of the Night was supposed to challenge Johnny Carson. They said it couldn't be done, and I was the guy they chose to prove it. The show was ahead of its time. It should have been on in 2084 when all of us are dead. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, obviously, he had a good sense of humor about it. But here's the reason I bring it up. SCTV is my favorite show of all time, and I could not get a clip, but I swear I will try because this is one of the clips I'd been trying to actually do an entire show about. This clip, this sketch that they did on SCTV shaped my life. It was the most brilliant thing I'd ever seen, and I didn't even know what Thick of the Night... I mean, I knew about it, but I didn't know what it entailed until just now when I read that to you. And now it's even funnier. I knew they were making a parody on Thick of the Night, but I didn't even understand how brilliant it was until just now. It's Joe Flaherty as his character, Sammy Maudlin, who in all of SCTV, the show that ran from like 77 to 84, when they moved to Cinemax, they did this show called Maudlin of the Night, which was completely supposed to be a parody of the Sammy Maudlin show, which was supposed to be this, you know, Sammy Maudlin show was a character done by Joe Flaherty that was supposed to be making fun of the way Johnny Carson always just where all the guests just compliment each other. And that's how highbrow and amazing it was, where he would just bring people on. And John Candy was Ed was Ed McMahon, but he was playing w- William B. And he would just always like, you know, Sammy, can I just tell you something? You are a giant in this business, a giant. And all they do is clap and applaud for each other. And it was so funny. And they would have the guests on and, Remember, I think I told you where uh, somebody bought a clip and they're like, they're like, yeah, I have a clip from the show. And they show the clip and it turns out they by accident show the entire movie. <laughs> and he's like, that was the whole movie, you, you idiot. You're supposed to show the clip. <laughs> yeah, we messed up. You know, I mean, that, that's such a funny gag. Yeah, they accidentally show the entire movie. <laughs> I mean, how funny is that, right? Especially when you're a kid growing up. That's like the funniest thing I ever heard. And Saturday Night Live wasn't doing that kind of stuff. And and this is why SCTV is 10 times better than anything Saturday Night Live has ever done. The original cast of Saturday Night Live, I loved. I loved. But SCTV was better. And they were doing the kind of stuff that completely shaped me and made me, this is what I want to do, and I can't achieve it, and it drives me crazy. I just wanted to do this kind of comedy, and stand-up comedy was the way to get this, but it didn't work out for me. And this is all I ever wanted to do. And if I ever get to do my John Adams show, it would be because of this SCTV. 
and this sketch, Maudlin of the Night. So Joe Flaherty comes out and he sings this song because Alan Thicke used to come out and sing a song every day. So he's trying to make it energetic and youthful to the audience. He says, it, it, it's publicized with an aggressive anti-Carson promo campaign. Right there, every time he's like, look out, Johnny, here comes Sammy, you know, so model of the night's coming. They kept doing an aggressive campaign. It was completely based on Alan Thicke trying to take over Johnny Carson's, uh, you know, presence. So he got a new set, and he comes flying out with a song, and and then he's like, "I'm Malden when Johnny's got you down." I just remember it, you know, like I'm Malden of the night, and he just says high note where he has to stop because he went to, and he's doing this dance number, and he does a split, and then he loses his breath, and they have to cut to a commercial. <laughs> it says we'll be right back when they come back. He's got an oxygen tank. <laughs> Because he's way too old to be doing a show like this. But he's like, well, we got a fresh new look. And uh, how about a hand for this new set? I mean, I think about this all the time. He's like, how about a hand for this new Well, I got together with Freddie Silverman. And, you know, Freddie Silverman was, you see, you knew who he was. He was on NBC and he got, or he was on ABC and he got fired. And then he got moved to NBC. He goes, well, I got, we, me and Freddie Silverman got, he's trying to be hip and, and like a much younger but he's like an older man who's had this show, but he's trying to be hip with the kids. But it's a complete takeoff on Thick of the Night. And he's got the maudlin, the zanies, they're called. He, the zanies. It was Zuzloff, Master of Improvisation, which was Martin Short pretty much playing Howie Mandel. Meltzer, uh, I don't remember who that was, McConaughey, <laughs> was some other comedian. Oh, Meltzer, I think, was a girl who was supposed to be like Paula Poundstone. And then McConaughey was uh, just a guy that did uh, flips. And then Cole was the voice-cracking intellectual. He goes, well, as long as it doesn't keep pounding the pavement, we'll all be okay. And he's like, <laughs> that voice-cracking stuff is it was great. And then uh, the guy goes, well, thank you. And then, and then Morton just looks at him like this. Uh-huh. <laughs> Me and my friend Mike Royce used to do that bit for years. We're just like, boy, that voice cracking stuff is great. And then it sours after the next time he speaks. This is the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. It was just, I knew it was a parody. I didn't even get it. And it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And then the first guest is Jennifer Beals, who has a clip from her new film, Cat in a Hot Tomb Roof, where she's talking about that she had an acting uh, double for her acting and a double for her dancing and a double for her singing. And it's Andrea Martin as Jennifer Beals. And, oh, my God, and Martin Short was playing Howie Mandel, and he goes, wait, 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 where's the camera? Moving closer, wait, wait. He was doing Howie Mandel, and I didn't even know who Howie Mandel was. Once I saw Howie Mandel, I finally got it. Martin Short was a genius. And then uh, he's like, do you have anything else? And he's like, he's like, he's a master of improvisation. And then he couldn't think of anything. What's the matter? You can't think of anything? I mean, I've been doing these bits for years. I was on this show on A&E called... Uh, Caroline's Comedy Hour, and I had my own talk show. There's clips of it somewhere, and um, I, I I ripped off this gag every time. I ripped off this entire show, and I'm like, what's the matter? You can't think of anything? All right, get out of here. I mean, I just ripped it off because it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And then their next guest is Henry Kissinger, and it was Eugene Levy. And every time Eugene Levy played Kissinger, he played him drunk because he was drunk one time. And that's the, the way um, Eugene Levy decided every time I'm playing Kissinger, I'm always playing him drunk. And he comes in with a drink and he goes, 
And he's like, uh, uh, and Sammy's trying to be having a serious conversation. That's what he would always do. He'd try and have a serious conversation with the guest, which was always really. And then every show always like, and then a serious conversation on the. <laughs> it was always. <laughs> so uh, Kissinger gets really angry and he's in a foul mood and he hates Suzlov and he punches him in the face and it knocks down the whole set. And I'll never forget because he goes, Kissinger, my set. And that, those three words were like the funniest things I'd ever heard. Kissinger, my set. That's just the funniest thing ever. <laughs> Kissinger knocks down the whole set because he's drunk and gets so he goes, "This one, you're the funniest one in the bunch." And he and the whole set starts to fall. And he goes, "Where's that Freddie Silverman?" It's a guy playing Freddie Silverman. And he's covering his head so he doesn't see. Him. I see you, Silverman. And then he runs after him, and that's the end of the show. And it was just the the, and then he apologizes to Johnny Carson because he's trying to get his job back. In a I don't know five to seven minute period, they did all the the one year or the two years that Alan Thicke was on this thick of the night. They parodied parodied perfect in seven minutes, maybe five, and. I don't know where that clip is. I mean, I guess there's a tape of SCTV. It is not on YouTube, but I am telling you, I still think it holds up knowing what we know about that, especially if you know it's based on Alan Thicke, if you know the backstory, if you know the characters he had. I mean, my God, it's so spot on. And again, when I first saw it, I was in college, and you know, I, I just thought this is the I never laughed so hard, and I didn't even know what they were parodying, and it was still funny. And then years later, when I found out what it was they were parodying, I'm like, oh my God, that's even more brilliant. Everything they did was brilliant. The Freddie Silverman, the set, the new set, the song when he comes out, but Kissinger, my set. I still say that line on a daily basis. I mean... A lot of times when I see a set knocked down, I always go, Kissinger, my set! Like if, I, if I'm if i in a play and somebody's uh, set falls over, that's, that's what I scream. Kissinger, my set! And that's the first thing I thought about when Alan Thicke died. Go figure. What's the matter with me? But, oh. I couldn't help myself. It was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. And that's why when you see Martin Short and Andrea Martin in these shows, it makes me angry. Ariana Grande either seems to get that Martin Short is a genius or just realizes he's adorable. Yeah, he is adorable. Because I'm telling you, they were like almost making out. If Martin Short was younger, I think she would have dated him. Um, I don't know if they get... There's no way they could know that these two geniuses, Andrea Martin and Martin Short, are are being underused, but then so was Ariana Grande, so it's okay, but Martin Short hasn't gotten a good part to be used properly in years. You know that bothers me that for a year we talked about how bad Mulaney was, mostly because they weren't using Martin Short properly. Andrea Martin was not used properly in this show. I don't know what they do to make them used properly, but you know, these guys are living leg- living comedy legends. And SCTV was the greatest. I still say it holds up. What they did on their very limited budget 
um, you know, on after Saturday Night Live or then moving to NBC after a while was just really a lot of hard work and effort. And those guys shaped uh, everything I want to do in life, and that stands to this day. Uh, another show that did that also was the Dick Van Dyke Show. And this past Sunday, they put it in color, which I was thrilled about. Thrilled about. All Dick Van Dyke episodes are black and white. They were done from 60 to 65. Uh, Carl Reiner has always said they asked us if we wanted to move to color like a lot of shows did. Uh, Bewitched, Gilligan's Island, I Dream of Genie. They all started in black and white, and then they moved to color. And he said, nah, uh, which was probably the smart move because... Um, then you have all the shows that are black and white. You know, I mean, it's just like everything's consistent, which is good. But I haven't watched it yet because I'm, I'm saving it up because I can't wait to see it in color. I'm like very excited, but it got killed in the ratings, just killed. I guess nobody cared. It was on Sunday night. I mean, it was on Sunday night during the Cowboys-Giants game, all right? So I guess they knew what they were doing. Um, so the Simpsons won the night. Sunday Night Football won the night by a million and also Frozen was on ABC, so Dick Van Dyke got killed. It got killed, but I can't wait to see it. I'm very excited. The, one of the episodes they had was That's My Boy, which, um, you know, when I had a cooking show on the Food Network, I was working with the great Bill Persky, who wrote that episode. He wrote that episode, That's My Boy. He would tell me about that all the time. He would say, that got the biggest sustained laugh in television history. Um, I want to say maybe before the... Archie Bunker kissed Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, but they're still, still saying it's the best. I mean, I'm sure there must be some, somebody must have the numbers on that. But up until that time, uh, that had the biggest laugh, which was uh, apparently Rob Petrie was like, you know, are we sure Richie's our son? Because there was a lot of nonsense at the hospital. And I think he might be this kid and this kid and that kid. Whatever the case may be, he was going crazy. And he, he's like, and everybody's like, you're an idiot. And then it turned out the people that he thought he, we thought they mixed it up with, it was a black couple. It was Greg Morris from Mission Impossible. And they came to the door and he's like, uh, you know, after talking to him on the phone, he, and he's like, w why didn't you tell me on the, I mean, clearly uh, I was mistaken. Uh, why didn't you call me on the phone and tell me I was wrong? And Greg Morris says, are you kidding? I missed the expression on your face. And that got huge laughs. And Bill Persky used to tell me it was a... And it, you got to think, you know, we're not thinking in terms of that time. That was a great twist on the black people being a little bit smarter. Uh, maybe I'm putting it the wrong way, but, uh, you know, you're not thinking of the times. Uh, he's living in New Rochelle and these black people come over and then they turns out they're smarter than... The Petries, uh, that's a really funny, interesting line. And, you know, they did have problems with the censor. Like, are you sure you want to do it? Maybe you're insulting people. And they had this line that kind of turned everything around. Because uh, that's pretty controversial to think like, uh, oh, well, it's not a, we're not getting a black baby. I mean, that's for 1962 or whenever that was. Uh, so that's a fun episode. But the best episode is this Coast to Coast Big Mouth, which is a classic where Mary Tyler Moore accidentally on a talk show says that uh, Carl Reiner's character, Alan, oh God, why can't I remember the name? The Alan Brady wears a toupee. And uh, then she calls in, uh, she it 
messes everything up. And then it's a classic scene where Alan, where Carl Reiner has all his toupees on the styrofoam heads in his office when Mary comes in, or Mary Tyler Moore comes in to, you know, to tell her he's so, she's sorry. Uh, he's just talking to the uh, toupees and he's like, men, what do you think I should do? <laughs> it's really funny. And, and Mary Tyler Moore, he even says, but it's true. If you watch that episode, that role, that particular episode might have defined really how good she was uh, at this role playing the, you know, New Rochelle housewife uh, in that time period. I mean, she really was just perfect. And sometimes you forget because Dick Van Dyke is the shit and there's Buddy and Carl Reiner. But she's just as good as all of them and her acting comedy chops. You can completely see how she would get Mary Tyler Moore after that uh, completely show in this episode. But the reason she got Mary Tyler Moore actually uh, is Bill Persky was saying after Dick Van Dyke, she wasn't getting anything because people would only think of her as this girl. So she did a show called or he Dick Van Dyke did a show called Dick Van Dyke and the Other Woman. They did a variety special that Bill Persky directed, and that got her the Mary Tyler Moore show. Dick Van Dyke and the Other Woman was Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore, and they did a variety special like four years after the show had, five years after the show had uh, finished. And that, when people saw her on that show, I guess they realized they she could be much more, and they gave her the Mary Tyler Moore show. So it's actually because of Bill Persky that uh, Mary Tyler Moore had a second career, whereas Dick Van Dyke was a drunk, but still awesome. And, you know, they're doing Bye Bye Birdie again, and sometimes they, you know, you could look online for the Ed Sullivan show where he does, Dick Van Dyke originated the role, and he's on the Ed Sullivan show performing it when it first opened, and again, and I've talked about it on the show, I mean, the guy is just so great in his moves, in his voice. He is just the shit. The Mary Poppins kind of sucked in a sense because, you know, that stupid accent, which I'm going to try and use in A Christmas Carol, but he's still great. Um, Daniel Craig, who I worship, who is James Bond, is an idiot. Uh, you know, he's been whining and complaining. He doesn't want to do James Bond anymore. He doesn't want to do James Bond anymore because I, who knows why? I'll tell you why. Because he's, he's a serious actor. Now, we've had this problem with all the James Bonds, I think except Roger Moore. I think he was the only guy that was like, who gives a shit? Um, this is a pretty good gig, you know. Sean Connery was angry. Uh, I don't think anybody else was angry except uh, maybe, I don't think Pierce Bronson cared because he had a career before, whatever, after, whatever. Who cares? But, Daniel Craig is furious. He's like, nobody's going to take me serious. Now, so Barbara Broccoli, who is the producer of all Bond from her father, is now producing Othello at the New York Theater Workshop. The production sold out in hours because Daniel Craig is going to be in Othello. So she said, I'll give you this if you be in two more Bond films. And he's like, yeah, now, now we're talking. So this douchebag 
is like, you know, kind of blackmailing her and saying, if you do that, but this is great. Barbara Brock is very smart. Like, oh, we'll put up fine. Fine. I'll produce a production of Othello. You can be in it. Then you can be Bond again. Are we happy? Is that good? But what this guy doesn't seem to get is that that show's not selling out in hours if he's not James Bond. Is he like the stupidest person on the planet? I love Daniel Craig because he's James Bond. I can watch The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo a hundred thousand times because it's James Bond. I don't care if he's in a different role. He's awesome because he's James Bond. If he stops being James Bond, nobody's seeing Othello. Nobody was seeing Betrayed, I think it was, on Broadway. That ticket's not selling out in hours if he's not James Bond. He doesn't know that. He's really that full of himself. He doesn't know. He's an older guy. He's almost 50. He doesn't know being James Bond gets you the other stuff. So what if he's typecast? He'll never be typecast because he's the best James Bond ever. He's so good. I I don't see how he would be typecast. He's just good. He was really, and that's what, for me, that's what made the girl with the dragon tattoo so awesome because he needed saving from Mara Rooney. He needed saving. He wasn't James Bond. So I was buying it, but I only watched it because he is James Bond. For real? You know what I mean? You're with me on this, right? This guy's a douche. How, how many of you guys out there would like to be James Bond? Well, I see a million hands raised. And uh, Jesus Christ, how many would like to just be in a show where I could be in another show because I'm in a show and it would sell out? Oh, my God. It, just, it drives you crazy if you're not doing anything. If you're doing a podcast in your apartment in the middle of the night and... Uh, you know, nobody's going to come see your production of Othello. I mean, I'm lucky people are coming to see A Christmas Carol, but it's only a one-night show. If I was James Bond, I could do an entire year run and it would sell out because I'm James Bond. You know what I'm saying. Whatever. I said my piece already. I'm just I'm just angry. Guy's looking at a gift horse in the mouth. You know, it, that doesn't happen in many lifetimes where you can be James Bond and a great James Bond and maybe and and really make the best James Bond movie 50 years of making Bond movies. This guy comes in, he makes the best Bond movie I've ever seen, which is Casino Royale. It's a fact. The other one's completely pale in comparison. Casino Royale is the best Bond movie ever made. Hands down, I don't care what anyone says. Nothing compares to Casino Royale, and we're going to go over that in my other podcast very soon. Uh, By the way, in the paper today, or a couple weeks ago, I saw a picture of Hillary Clinton with Putin in 2012 and she had really long hair and she looked really good i think that's where she messed up i think she had grown her hair a little longer i think she's gonna won because then she was like hotter i don't know maybe that's just me i like girls with longer hair but she looked really cute like she had it down to her shoulders and it was kind of hot um and i remember watching this that great movie that i talk about all the time uh what is it? Uh, John Travolta as Clinton. Primary colors. No. Yeah, primary colors, I believe, right? Uh, I think so. And they talk about it. The people are like, um, I'd like to see her hair more, like whatever, because she's supposed to be Hillary. It's Emma Watson. Or did I get that right? Because I mix her and the girl from Hermione up. So 
Uh, the girl, you know, the girl from... Uh, by the way, just before I came here, I was at the... I went, you know, like, not Christmas shopping, but I had to go, like, shopping. So I went to TJ Maxx. I went to Bed Bath & Beyond. I went to Dwayne Reed. And then I went to a couple of stores. And I was looking for a bunch of that. And I was grabbing a bunch of stuff. And you know when you're shopping at a store this time of the year with your heavy jacket? Oh, my God. It's so sweaty. It gets so hot. It's so, like, it makes you dizzy. It's so difficult. I don't know how people go to stores anymore. Normally, I wouldn't. It's just so much easier to buy online. But I was just looking for cards, like money-holding cards. You know, I got to pay everybody. Um, and they don't have any non-denominational cards. I don't want ones that say Merry Christmas. I don't want ones that say Happy Hanukkah. I want ones that have a little picture of a snowman in the snow. You know, maybe say Season's Greetings. They don't have any of those. And that's messed up. And that, 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 that bothers me. Thank you. <laughs> I had a reason for uh, saying that. I know I was talking about Hillary Clinton and primary colors, but now I don't remember and it doesn't matter. It's just like, so how do they not have non-denominational cards? It doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't, you know, they have Happy New Year ones, but it's not time for that. That's what I usually give out. I give my doormat because I always give it in between Christmas and New Year's, but because I don't get, you know, I don't get any money until after Christmas. But now I got the show coming up, and I got to give everybody cards and everything. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh. I'm going to talk about one more thing before. Oh, no. Actually, well, there's a couple more things, but I really kind of want to go. Well, let's just talk about um, really quickly, just really quickly, the Golden Globes. Um, Samuel O. Jackson said that they're the type of films that exist pretty much exclusively as Oscar bait. He's furious. And you know what? He's right. This is the list of best picture motion pictures. Hacksaw Ridge. Did anybody see that? No. Um, it's a biographical war from World War II experience. The guy refuses to carry a firearm, a web of who cares? Hell or High Water. The film follows two brothers who carry out a series of bank robberies to save their family farm. Never heard of it. Lion, that's the only one I've heard of because I saw a thing about it on 60 Minutes. A guy who lost from his family at the age of five was adopted by an Australian family and searches for his long-last family using Google Earth. Manchester by the Sea, never heard of it. The plot follows an uncle who has to look after his teenage nephew after the boy's father dies. Moonlight, life of a poor gay kid in Miami. Oh, my God, you got to be kidding. And why am I watching a kid who he's in Miami? That's a fun time town. It's good weather. So I never heard of any of these films, and neither is anyone else, and that's what's nominated. And that really is lame. He's right. Because when you put in the best motion picture for musical or comedy, I've never heard of these films. 20th Century Woman, La La Land, I've kind of heard of, Florence Foster Jenkins, are you kidding? And Sing Street, but then the only one that anybody's ever heard of, Deadpool. Now, here's the other thing. Are you fucking kidding me? You're going to give this Mel Gibson a Best Director nomination and for his stupid film, you're going to give Mel Gibson a story about an American pacifist in World War II, an American. You're going to give this Australian anti-Semitic racist douchebag, this is the Golden Globes, because they better not, they better not Oscar nominate this complete tool. And now let me tell you something else. This Andrew Garfield, who's in this fucking movie, I don't like that this British kid is playing the American soldier. I don't like that. 
So you got an Australian and a British kid taking an American topic. I don't like it. But it's the golden stupid globes. But you can let it go. But I'm not going to let go of the Mel Gibson shit. That's fucked up. Mel Gibson shouldn't be heard from ever again. And if he wants to make movies, that's fine. But there should be a ban on nominations. You want to go see a Mel Gibson movie, go ahead. But he should not be ever nominated again. It's not right. This is pathetic. And all these movies, you know they suck. There's not one of these I want to watch. Not ever. Not for free. Never. It sounds horrible. All these nominated. Clearly, there's nothing. The good news, though, Hugh Grant's nominated for Florence Foster Jenkins. Obviously, we're going to have to see that one. Because also, uh, the also one who's nominated is uh, Simon Helberg for The Big Bang Theory, which I love. I got to see that movie. And our favorite, Meryl Streep. She's always good. Florence Foster Jenkins. Got to see that one. That's pretty much it, though. Michelle Williams should never be allowed to be in movies again. She's in some of the worst movies ever. She's kind of sexy, but who cares? I, I don't want to see her. I don't want to see her in everything, anything, because all her movies stink. And oh, But here's the thing, okay? So... Here's the list of the biggest box office movies of 2016. Finding Dory is number one. It blew, the, blew away the competition. The next one is Captain America Civil War. You know it is. Secret Life of Pets. It's all kids' movies. Jungle Book. And then number five is Deadpool. That's the only one on the list. And remember, that will not be nominated at the Oscars. They happen to have a musical comedy category. That's the number five movie I finally got nominated. But you have to go all the way to Jesus. You got to go all the way to the 48th, 48th top grossing movie of 2016 to get to the your first nomination, which is Hacksaw Ridge. 48. None of the other ones are before that. But look at it. It's all, it's all, I mean, you know, you can't, you're not going to nominate Captain War Civil America. You're not going to nominate The Secret Life of Pets, Jungle Book. I mean, that, that that's your problem there, too. Uh, you got Deadpool, Zootopia. It's all cartoons and superheroes. Batman versus Superman, Suicide Squad, Doctor Strange, Fantastic Beasts. Jason Bourne is like the only live action movie that's up there. Uh, Star Trek Beyond. But it's all fantasy. Then it's you still go back. X-Men Apocalypse, Mona, the, the, the Trolls, Kung Fu Panda. My God, it's unbelievable. So maybe that's maybe that's a problem. The Legend of Tarzan. Sully. Finally, an actual movie you could not know. Why wasn't that movie nominated? It's Tom Hanks. I mean, they, they love Tom Hanks. I guess they don't. The Angry Birds movie. That made, wow, how do you like that? That movie was going to suck. I mean, um, maybe it's just a shitty year. I never heard of any of these. I, I'm with Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, maybe we got to change the way, you know, maybe it's just kind of like the elections. And we got to change the way we look at, uh, you know, how we elect Oscars. Just, you know, just the way they want to do more diversity. Maybe you got to. You know, get rid of all those people who were 
making the votes and let's change it around. Let's change the election system for everything. The Oscars, the uh, the election, the voting, every 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 way we vote. Let's let's just uh, make it a change. Yeah, how are we not ending on this today? Are you kidding me? The greatest song. Go all the way back. 1983. Here's Alan Thick. Think of the night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're rolling with the thick of the night. We're rolling with the thick of the night. And the thick of the night. It's the city lights are shining. Leave the light on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the thick of the night. Thick of the night. Can you imagine if uh, the Huff brother and sister, the Huff family, if they, when, uh, they did that dance show they played this song and danced oh my god me and my sister would be like this is the greatest show I've ever seen think of the night oh think of the night woo yeah oh my god I love this song putting this right on my iPod This is definitely the new opening and closing for my podcast from now on. Forget it. Now I think I miss Alan Thick. Oh, gotta love those keyboards. That's why I love to play the. I could play that. It's amazing that his son was able to write songs that, well, apparently ripped it off. So. Anyway, everybody, great show today. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I mean, I want to say Tell's coming out next week. I don't know. But remember, whatever happens, the show will be after A Christmas Carol. So I will be back to tell you how that goes. And then it'll be Christmas, I guess. I don't know. We'll figure it all out. But thanks for joining me today. And have a great week. It's almost Christmas. This is kind of a fun week before Christmas. Then it gets depressing. But for now, everything is beautiful with the world. And we'll see you next time on the Dave Juskow Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're going to leave you with Alan Thick and the Thick of the Night. Moving up four spots to number four.